Hey devs, you're tuning into the debug log number 104, and it is jammed packed full of information all about designing your games for AR and VR applications. We get into all of that and more. We are joined by two special guests, Mira Marquez, who's been on the show before, a friend of the podcast, and Kenneth Woodruff, who is basically a uh, virgin of podcasting. That sounds weird, but we'll just keep things rolling. Anyway, you will not want to miss this, so stay tuned. Buckle up for the debug log, episode 104. All right, cool. Um, so yeah, I'll I can start it, or you can start it. You want to start it? Uh, let me let me give me a few seconds here to think if I have anything to say. Uh, now you just start it. Listening to the Debug Log, a podcast about game development. My name is Albino Parra. And I'm Ryan Kilgore. And today we have another fresh new interview for you. I know it's been a while since we had our last episode, but this one's going to be a really, really good one. Like I mentioned in the intro, it's all about designing for VR and AR applications, both the UX side of things and the gameplay, game design side of things. Uh, and today we have two very, very special guests, one friend of the podcast, Mira Marquez, and a new interviewee in Kenneth Woodruff. Uh, so welcome to the show, guys. Hi. Thank you. Cool. So we've had Mira on the show before, like I've mentioned, but Ken is a very fresh new face, uh, another Bay Area dev. Uh, could you give us a quick introduction about yourself, Ken? How did you get into games? Uh, why game design, et cetera, et cetera? Oh, geez. I've been a gamer since I was a kid, and I got my first computer when I was 10. I've been doing interactive type stuff for 27 years. Uh, so I was gaming as my career was developing. Uh, in the last several years, I've been doing tons of uh, my own games. I started with mobile, you know, like 10 years ago uh, on the side while I was doing uh, other work. And uh, now I'm doing tons of VR. Uh, not so much AR, but lots of VR. I'm, I'm, i got to say I'm super into the Quest. I'm, I, I've got all kinds of cool things to say about oh, the Quest yeah. at this point. Great nice. platform. Yeah. yeah, doing some really cool stuff. And I'm super stoked about, you know, the, how the technology is developing. So I'm just, you know hopping on that ride and i'm just taking it wherever it goes sweet wait so what got you into vr like going from like the class the quote-unquote classic <clears throat> game platforms to vr oh well i remember the the, the virtual boy back in the day <laughs> so I've, I've been around that long yeah you almost went blind remember, using it yeah yeah and, I, and then i remember when uh when lawnmower man came out i was like oh that's the future <laughs> you know and then, you know, there was there were all kinds of attempts at making that stuff work and nobody's gotten it right until recently. And, you know, it started with the, the mobile phones and strapping stuff to your head with cardboard and stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, and then uh, finally, the, the, the Vive and the Rift came out and that really moved things forward. So um, it's just like it's it's amazing. Every time I describe this to people, I'm like, OK, there's this thing and you can draw a space <laughs> and you can run around. So you can actually go out into a field if you want and just right. run full speed and nothing's going to happen. You know, like it's how, how freaking cool is that? So I could like run around on Mars if I want. So like the, the 10 year old in me is still pretty stoked about all this and, right. and trying to make use of it and help, help, you know, do cool new things. And there's always something new and interesting. Like in the last, uh, I think it was like three weeks ago, o um, Oculus did a beta of um, hand tracking directly mm. from the headset. So oh, you don't yeah, have to have any other that. hardware. Right. 
and your brain just goes, oh gosh, you could do this and this and manipulate things in space. And you know, that, that, that part of me is still quite passionate about this stuff. Sweet. Cool. Nice. Uh, so you, you mentioned like, uh, getting, you know, quote unquote, getting it right until recently, or they just started getting it right. And I, we'll kind of jump into that later in the episode. Uh, but sure. Let's re-welcome Mira Marquez back to the show. How I think the last time we talked to you, it was a depressing episode about layoffs. So <laughs> how, how, how have things been since then? Uh, things have been good. So I transitioned out of games, um, you know, due to NCSoft Studio shutting down. And now I'm at a autonomous drone company called Skydio. They're in Redwood City. There we do our manufacturing and all of our everything's in house. Um, but it's been going good. So I do UI and UX design for them, um, and we also some of our product stuff does. We do use AR to a certain extent um, mm-hmm. in some of our applications. However, my background in regards to VR um, comes from when I worked at Monkey Fun, and we did a game called for the PlayStation VR. Um, called League of War VR Arena, uh, which was like a tabletop military battle strategy game. Um, and so we, there was some interesting learnings on the UX side that I'm sure we'll we'll get into uh, that came about from that. Um, so yeah, and that was that was a fun project for sure. But overall, See. doing good. Yeah, can't complain. Awesome. And then finally, we have Ryan on the show, who everyone knows, uh, unfortunately, but. Well, again, what? I hope we Wait, do what? get in. <laughs> I'm here to be a punching get... bag, folks. Okay. That's true. <laughs> I do hope we get into all the details, especially about some of the previous um, projects you guys have been working on uh, since you've uh, kind of transitioned out of games. Uh, but anyway, to, just to get things started about you know where we are, what we're talking about, about VR and design, I kind of want to get from both of you kind of your quote-unquote tenets of design. Like what do you see as core and foundational pieces to design. When, when someone says, uh, what is design to you, especially when it relates to games, what is your first response? Uh, and I guess, Ken, you want to go first? Yeah, I was, I was thinking about this today, and I remember uh, there's an old book that was written in the late 60s called What is a Designer? And it was written by a furniture maker. And he, you know, it's kind of dated at this point, but he, he basically gets into some philosophy that some of which I, I adhere to where I think, you know, kids making fun things out of Legos are designers. You know, they're not solving any particular problems. They're just having fun and doing stuff. And sometimes I have a, a five and a half year old. She'll start making patterns and do interesting stuff. And they're like, how tall can I make it? How can I, how wide can I make it? What kind of weird shapes can I make? And I think, you know, at, at its most basic design is solving a problem. And then you're solving a problem visually. And then you're trying to make it cool in some way without taking it so far out of what people are familiar with that it's weird Mm. and you have to sort of iterate and mess with it, see what happens, see what works and just tinker, you know, like, like kids with Legos. Um, I'm a, a woodworker. So I make uh, furniture and stuff and I like to do like hand cut joinery and things like that. And it's, you know, you're always thinking about how things fit together again with the Lego analogy, sorry, Um, how things fit together and what the the overall thing is going to be in the end. Um, and, and it's just a, uh, keeping it all in your head, uh, solving problems, of course, in the context of it being in, in, an, in an industry where you have clients, you have to think of what the client wants. And then you have to think of them, you know, having crazy, uh, <laughs> crazy requests, like, can you make that white less white? Um, you know, you have to, you have to balance that with what the, what the client wants and, you know, what the budget is and all that. So you have to factor that into, you know, if you're doing this in a business context. 
but at its basic it's you know like creating something sometimes you're solving the same solving a problem the same way that someone else has solved it because it's the best way to do it and you have to just admit that and go on with it but sometimes your task is something crazy and you have to figure out the best way to do it without it being so you know just out of the realm of what people can conceive of that uh you're, you're breaking their brains i actually it's funny i'm reminded of <clears throat> so i've been doing interactive work i started doing uh development uh, in uh, acromedia director back in the day i was doing uh cd-roms and kiosks uh for museums and i remember right when touchscreens first became available they were something like three thousand dollars each and we would buy a few uh to build stations and i got to see an old couple in a museum uh, using a touchscreen for the first time <laughs> and there was a button that said press the screen or touch the screen to begin and they were looking at it like what you know because they they were told never to touch the screen you know for their whole lives and there was that weird sort of gap between what people are familiar with and this whole new realm and solving that problem seems so easy or so simple you just put words that say touch the screen to begin and they just didn't grok it Right. Um, and there was this, this this little old lady goes the, the the old guy goes, what do we do? How do we do it? And she goes, mash that button. <laughs> so that was that was the transition for them. And then they're like, whoa, we did the best thing ever today. You know, they, I'm sure they went and told people, like, we, we touched the screen and stuff happened. <laughs> right. We got away so, with it too. So you, <laughs> we yeah, got right, away right. with it. They told us to. Right. And so you have you know you're solving sometimes you're solving problems where you're you, you know have it's like cognitive stuff too. As I'm sure Miro is aware of, cool. where you you uh, you have to get it into their head, and that's another thing about VR that's been really interesting. And, and AR, I think AR to lesser to a lesser extent, but that's something I think we can get into, or we're going to get into. Cool. Um, and I'm sorry I've, I've rambled on, but that's, no, no, that's good. No, that's great, man. I think, yeah, I think the story was really telling and, and kind of does speak to design issues and just the I guess the complexities of design. Uh, but you, Mira, yeah, what about you? How do you how do you define design? So it's it's kind of going off of what. Ken saying here is that and it's the same for me too I for me design you know if I'm not drawing something I look at the interaction and it's how does a human being um, interact with a product or an item or something that's they're gonna be able to utilize so like in the case of Legos like you want to build something so how best you enable the, in most cases, like a kid or myself, um, to build, you know, the things that they want to build. And, you know, it's funny mentioning the screen um, with the, the older couple is because people don't realize, so everyone has what's known as cognitive bias and basically our experiences growing up, you know, um, give you a start basically become data in your head that your body reacts subconsciously to, whether it be in the way you physically react to something or things you say become habit. And from design, it's for me looking at how do people interact with things based off of human, like human behavior habits a lot of times, because like the couple, for example, they have no preconceived notion of what they're supposed to do. So somebody who's been told, you know, don't ever touch screens now to touch it, but then they still have the hiccup of, well, how do I touch it? Even though I'm being told, like, is that right? Um, so like what 
causes that friction is all of their other experiences. So it's like, how do you teach people how to use technology or a product a certain way when they have so much basically baggage in their brain that they don't know about? Right. Um, so it's always, I think, I think human in that aspect, like humans are kind of amazing and it's really um, entertaining too, to figure out where people have friction and how to use a product. And so I think that's a lot of what design is too, is thinking about how to get people to use something in a way that empowers them or enables them to use it the way that you'd want them to use it. Mm. Sweet. Cool. So you yeah, mentioned you ever, a couple. Of... So like, oh, okay. oh, sorry. I want to ask about about that bias real fast because, um, like, have you ever seen that work in like sort of an opposite way? I don't know if this is exactly the case, but it's like uh, a lot of software kept around a save button forever that looks like a little three and a half floppy disk. But that you know, it's like it's like that kind of became symbolic. But at the same time, you know, how many people now see that have never seen one of those or like had to load those in person? But that just kind of like got set in people's minds for the longest time. It's like that's a save button, and and it actually represented a physical object that existed at one point, but not really anymore. So right, so it, it changes generationally. So when you think about millennials, we're kind of the last group that really used floppy disks. And so kids, um, probably early, you know, who are teenagers now or early 20s, don't have that same, <clears throat> don't have that bias built into their brain because that used to, that has no meaning anymore. If anything, hmm. control S probably means more to them than right, <laughs> right. seeing a floppy. <laughs> and that's kind of being like that, that aspect of design too, is you have to pay attention to who, what is your audience? Is it generational? Is it male? Does it differ between male and female um, stereotypical behavior habits? Does it age play into a factor, what people are exposed to? And so you have to think about all those social and economical situations that people can be exposed to and how to accommodate for those situations. And you do the best that you can, but then that's where like user testing comes in handy because there could be expectations you thought you had. And then when you user test with real people completely, you get all these really weird results. Right. Yeah. I've, I've heard of stories like that where, you know, they'll, especially in like facial recognition where some companies will be like, you know, they'll just sit down all their like male white engineers in front of them, like, yeah, this works. And then like anybody else in the world gets in front of it. And it's like, I don't know that that's a person. And you're like, you idiots. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and it, it's interesting. I, you see this kind of pop up with any emerging technology. Um, so, like, take VR, for example. They, you know, people have... Feel free to stop me, Obina, if I'm getting too... <laughs> <laughs> no, you're good, good. That's so, like, funny. <laughs> new technology. So, when I, I did um, League of War VR and Arena, um, it was, like, two to three years ago, pretty much. We had a really short time frame to get it done um, with our publisher and it was like four months. So we focused on it being a tabletop. It was local co-op, try to keep it contained and make sure we hit all of our deadlines. But when we did user testing, it was interesting how many people were nervous and didn't want to, and didn't initially approach to want to do user testing. We did user testing at the foundry and just like, you know, as which if nobody is familiar with, um, they do like, uh, esports tournaments and like the their bar, all their drinks is geared towards like video game characters, and um, it's kind of just like a big gamer hangout on Friday nights. So it was a good audience to kind of test with. 
Um, but there was a lot of people who they were watching, but they wouldn't want to play. And when we talked to them, a lot of times there was this like barrier of entry where they were nervous about playing because they thought it was something they didn't understand and how to, they didn't know how to use the product. So they had never done VR before. So they were nervous about if they would break something, would they do it incorrectly? Um, and then also too, cause we were in a public area, they didn't want to, you know, like mess up in front of friends or like other people or feel embarrassed. Um, so it was interesting to see how many people had friction in approaching trying something new because they had this preconceived notion that either they couldn't learn it or they weren't willing to ask or like try to learn right away how to use the product. Mira, can, can I ask, or these were gamers who were afraid to use it? Yeah, gamers, or there was like other people who, huh. you know, who came to hang out with like their friends. So I would say majority <laughs> of the audience was a bit more gamer oriented. And then the, like, the rest of the audience was less, like, they liked game stuff or like maybe like anime or animation, um, but weren't, I wouldn't say like a hardcore gamer by any means. Cool. Yeah, and this is this is a good key discussion and kind of what we want to kind of filter and, and kind of, not filter, but be kind of a part of the whole conversation. But I kind of want to get back to the the core tenets of the design that you guys mentioned. I think Kenneth phrased or summed it up as um, solving a problem. Uh, and I was wondering, does the definition, your definition of design, uh, specifically as it relates to VR, does that differ between, I think you've kind of, I think Mira was kind of touching on all this, but does it differ between platforms? Like when you're developing from a, for like a mobile game or a console game or PC game, does your definition of design, quote unquote, solving a problem, does that differ from VR to other platforms? Oh, absolutely. In, in massive ways. Um, I would say, you know, let's say traditional mobile you know, no AR, no VR, You're, everything's pretty much flat. You've got some 3D characters or whatever and a UI stuck on top. And that's pretty much how it goes. And that's traditional. That's the way things have been before. With AR, you've got, you know, Monopoly on your table and you're, you've got, you're holding up your phone. And, it, you know, I've, I've equated that with something more like Fight Club where there are labels on things as you look through the, the phone. Um, with VR, uh, it, there's a, there's a, a whole new depth of, of cognitive stuff there because you're replacing someone's world entirely. And you're, on the one hand, you're, I'm sorry, not on the one hand, one of the things you have to focus on is uh, not making them sick. That's a pretty good start. <laughs> um, the And I think that another thing is, uh, and I think we're going to get into this later, about um, uh, uh, designing an appropriate I interaction for that. I'm a huge fan of, uh, I still don't know how to pronounce it, diegesis, where the the interface is in the world and yeah, not diegetic. like stuck right in front yeah. of your face. Di yeah. So um, the it's a it's a totally different situation. You know, you, you might uh, have a great idea to, you know, make some cool 3D rotating HUD that would look really cool in 3D, but you stick it in front of someone's face and it makes them cross their eyes because it's right, it's actually in front of their face, you know? So you have to think really differently about how that works. So is that is that you said the dia, diegetic? Is that my pronunciation? Diegetic, diegetic, but it's called diegesis as a state. Yeah. Oh, okay. So is is that sort of like what they did in what was it the division where they do the overlays? Is it sort of like that in the in the three D world, or is that am I thinking of that wrong? 
Yeah, uh, yeah, that's it's it's in the world, but I think the that's a weird sort of hybrid for me. Um, mm. You're still you're st- like, uh, did you play Dead Space? You guys know Dead Space? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, where the, the the it's it's a, it's still a 2D UI, but it's like floating in space in front of you. So that was a really clever way to to sort of bridge the the division or the the separation between 2D and 3D, where it's still you know point and click almost like flash or whatever, but it's like floating in space. Right. Like a cool hologram. Yeah. Like, yeah. The, like the care, the character is using a 2d interface basically, but in, in VR, like we're, we're doing all kinds of cool, crazy things. Like, um, uh, that, that first awesome, uh, Batman experience for the PSVR where all of his stuff is on his belt and, and you, you have controllers and you move the controllers towards the side, towards your hips and you bring up the right one and you can like toss the batarang from whichever hip because you know that it's on your hip. And if you look down, when you're reaching for it, there's a like a um, a highlighted shape of a batarang there, and you know that what you're doing is grabbing it from your waist. So there's no UI, there's no clicking things, there's no you know labels in space or anything. You're actually doing something that feels like a real um, motion that you're you're, you're taking. Gotcha. And it, it, it's almost like it's almost like it doesn't have a UI at all in that in that case. Of course, it, that's UX, but um, you have to think very differently about how that stuff works. Right. So, did you want to add anything, Mira? Uh, yeah. So I was gonna say that's, that's completely true. It's like when you're designing for a 2D game, like whether it's mobile or console, you you only have to worry about visual and auditory sensors for a person, whereas or and I guess if they have a dual like a dual shock, then you know the controller can vibrate. Whereas like for VR, you have to think about a person's range of motion, their them getting sick, their you know there's so much more in a sensory um, space that you have to think about. Um, something that we did for VR Arena too, because like people the other thing is too is people go into I think VR and AR with preconceived notions that like, oh, we could do cool stuff like Mission Impossible and it'll be like Iron Man UI. And you're like, wait, well, that actually makes people sick um, and it could be uncomfortable. Like, you know, trying to reach for always like reach your arm up, for example, that's going to strain your arm over time. Um, So thinking about things, the your list basically for how to design for a person just gets substantially wider and longer when it comes to VR because it's so much more immersive. Right. And that, that kind of brings a question to mind. Uh, and this is kind of one of my next sections about some of the challenges uh, about developing for or designing for VR. And that is with that, with those constraints being like you're designing almost to the individual level uh, and the range of individuals is so vast that it's hard to design a game around you know that's that can kind of encompass the full gamut of players how is is do you believe or do you think that vr games are not as what's the word um ubiquitous or not as popular currently because of this these limitations of having to design really like fine-tune your game around specifics and and, and kind of key components to an individual's you know, height or, you know. Well, the, the height one's kind of interesting because you could kind of fake that a little bit. Like if they're wearing a headset, you can set certain things because that, like, for example, in the VR game I did, there was a tabletop 
and we had um, like I'm five foot two, but there was somebody who was six foot four in our office and we used each other as basically a calibration range for <laughs> figuring out, okay, if we have this table, does it feel like a table to both of us based off of like relative <clears throat> space and you know, how things are related to our bodies. And so granted, like when you put on the PSVR headset, like you can calibrate it. So things reset to a certain point, but it was kind of surprising that when we put the table in um, and we, you know, adjusted the height here and there a little bit, it still felt like a kind of like waist high, hip high table to both of us, regardless of our um, height difference. So there wasn't a really any like crazy difference between a short, really short person, for example, or a really tall person. But, um, because he was used to seeing a table at that right. height. Right. So you go into it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thinking you have these certain expectations. Um, right. I think VR for the most part isn't as popular is because there's a barrier of entry for a lot of people, whether it's price. Um, and then also just newness to a certain extent, like people the you could say to a certain extent, the general public doesn't know how to use it in an everyday way. So it becomes something that they have to, they have to have a motivational trigger to say, let me go perform this action or activity. Um, so unless you're already like emotionally invested in like, Ooh, like new technology and you're like, Ooh, this is cool and new. Um, then you're going to be more inclined to go purchase it and use it more frequently. Um, right. unlike a cell phone, for example, which, you know, pretty much vast majority of the public owns. <laughs> um, I think designing though, like there's other things you have to consider. I wouldn't say that it's a limitation. I think those limitations such as like people getting motion sickness will decrease with time. And I think just time and more exposure will help those little, like those other aspects that could, um, inhibit you from designing a certain way. Gotcha. Same, same kind of same question for you, Kenneth and Ryan. I kind of want to get your opinion on that as well as like, whether you think uh, it's, is it just like price point and, you know, early adopters that are kind of what's gating VR right now as it is, or are, is there more to it? Is design a big piece? I think, I think there are two main things. One is the hardware, which as Mira touched on is the price. But until, again, I'm sorry, I'm going to sing the praises of the Quest. Until the Quest came along, to get any sort of like decently uh, nice performance and a good quality experience with controllers, you had to have an expensive laptop and a headset with a bunch of wires hanging off of it and maybe have satellites mounted in your room like the with the Vive or these little things sitting on a, a, a tabletop or your desk or whatever in the case of the Rift. And there's just so much stuff and setup, and you're you're fixed in one place. And if you don't have it set up right, or your your dog moved something, it doesn't work right anymore. But with the Quest, it's like you sorry? have to have the space too. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and I think that that's the Quest is the newest and coolest thing on that front. But I think it's also a sign of what things are going to be. People are going to start miniaturizing more powerful hardware into things like that and then bring the price point down and then they're going to go like all hand tracking so we don't need any awkward buttons and things that you have to fiddle with um so we're, we're at a like i think at a crest um where the hardware is going to become less of a problem 
And then the other thing is, oh, so I, I, I did an article uh, for uh, Monotype, the, the, the type foundry, which basically bought all the, all the other type foundries over the, over the last several years or the last decade. Um, they were working on a, a, a VR and AR text renderer, which does like super crisp real-time text with uh, refined geometry and everything. And I did an article with them about, you know, designing for VR and text and stuff. And one of the things that, that I was thinking about when I when I did that was that, you know, at some point <clears throat> with with um, music, they went from mono to stereo. And all the studios in the world were mono. And all the music hardware, the playback stuff, the records, uh, they were all mono. And then at some point, someone invented stereo. And they're like, okay, now everybody's got to go stereo. And so people started making music in stereo, but no one had the hardware to play it in stereo. And then people had the hardware to play it in stereo. <clears throat> excuse me. And um, then they only had like one record to listen to that was in stereo. You know, so they had to wait for more content. So that's happening with VR too, where there's this like shuffle between people having the things necessary needed to to do this stuff, and then kind of a dearth of content. Um, especially decent content, which is, you know, it's, it's not the same thing with mobile now because there are a billion apps that, you know, half of them are free and all that. But um, there's this shuffle of hardware versus content um, because we're in this transition from basically, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a transition from uh, a 2D world to a 3D world. Um, and we have to, you know, as, as an industry, create more of that stuff, but then people have to, who have to pay for that creation, that development, have to take risks like financial risks to get that stuff out there and so everyone's sort of like is this going to work is this going to work you know like oh it's going to work oh wait it's not going to work and so that we're in this sort of dance before we get to the point where there's more content and the, the kind of content that people like and you know we're also still uh, speaking to the interface stuff um we're still kind of experimenting as as an industry with what's going to work in that in that space you know what's going to be comfortable what's going to be least nausea inducing and what's going to be familiar but uh, uh, more true to this medium and we're kind of in that strange transition right now and i think that's where that's where things are with content at least cool uh and ryan did you have any follow-ups do you have any opinions on i that? mean not really they covered it pretty well there i mean the one thing i will say is i totally agree with this sort of you know as the technology evolves you know certain challenges start to fall away and you can start thinking about new challenges because um like i will also sing the praises of the quest i have one and i've had an oculus since the dk one so i've had a dk1 a dk2 uh the cv1 the first consumer version which had you know like the satellites you had to set up or sorry the um little motion sensors you had to place everywhere and then the quest and the biggest transition there was going from you know hey can we even rent like render a 3d space and have your head move around and it looks somewhat accurate and you not throw up you know it's like yeah i'm kind of looking through a screen door but this kind of works and the second revision came through we got higher resolutions better frame rates you know the motion tracking got better so it was you know they chipped away at all these really highly challenging technical things you know as far as like rendering in motion went and there's still some to get through there but you know for the most part they finally got to a point where it's like well that's maybe not as concerning as maybe the space we can operate in so let's get some of these satellites and now we can start tracking you at room level you know and then it's like okay well that's great and now you get to the quest where it's like we don't need any of those stupid satellites anymore you don't have to take any of that time to set that up you can just kind of 
paint a space and go, you know, now you're like starting to look at other quality of life things where it's like, you know, hey, cool, we got the rendering down, we got the motion down, I got my space down. Uh, what about hand tracking now? Or like, what does that look like? Or, you know, maybe we start, well, I think they're already doing some of this, like tracking pupils. And then maybe, you know, you know where the person's actually looking with their eyeballs and you can start doing design things with that. You know what I mean? And so it's like, as you start chipping away at those big technical challenges, you start revealing other challenges in other arenas like oh like here's a design or usability or you know um but like i said yeah i totally agree with him that as the technology evolves you know you're gonna start refining your craft there so i took i totally agree with all that i took uh my quest to a thanksgiving party (laughs) and and set it up in someone's living room and and watched people play with it for like two hours there were there were (laughs) six-year-old my my five-year-old loves it there, there, I saw six-year-olds. Uh, I saw a 75-year-old woman using it for the first time, and she's like just swatting in space at stuff. I don't even know what she was playing. She's just <laughs> sort of like everyone's sitting on a couch watching other people play this game and like you know laughing at them and having a blast. And it, it was just it's so neat that it's portable and still that remarkable an experience without all the See, gear. You know. Yeah, and that's another very good point. Is yeah, like I've got a um. Like for the quest, I've just got this little like, you know, kind of large lunchbox size thing that I can shove everything in. And like I took it to the office at some point and, you know, kind of uh, mirrors point with like, you know, other people being having that type of technology or hardware being accessible, whether they can afford it or not. Now it's very portable so they can have a friend show it to them. And then maybe they're like, yeah, well, maybe I'll save up and get one of those. That does look kind of fun. You know what I mean? So. It's not like, okay, you have to come over to my house and hold on, let me set up and calibrate all these stupid nodes and, you know, okay, wait a second, hold on, I got to restart my computer. You know, it's right. <laughs> it's not quite any of that anymore. You know, it's more of just like a plug and play, bring it to somebody and let them experience it. There's, al- gotcha. There's cool. also this like tipping point of, because of, I would say film and games actually, there's a romanticized or idyllic um, idea of what certain like future technologies should be. Like in the case of VR, I'm sure a lot of people thought of the holodeck on Star Trek. And um, so it's like there's there's also like this, I feel like from an industry standpoint where you have to ask the general public to like bear with you for like 10, 15 years while we get the technology sorted out um, because it's like it doesn't look pretty now and it's not what you think you you think you want. And what you ideally probably want, but it can get there. It's just it has to go through all these like stepping stones. And that's an interesting thing to watch with VR and with the Quest is that it's making progress. And I think there's going to be a tipping point where a lot of the general public finally has that aha moment of like how they can use it. Because we see with like VR stuff and as they get hand tracking, for example, a lot of... um, there's some other VR companies that do this, but for medical training, for surgeries, um, other things for treating uh, like PTSD or rehab or therapy or things like that, there's it opens the door so much more to fine tune some of these other applications, very practical applications to help with. Yeah, that, that's a very so, good point too. And uh, um, yeah, being a t- tell me to shut up. <laughs> so you go off on a really yeah. Because I think I think the conversation is veering more towards VR as a technology and yeah. less as the design. So let, I just want to kind of circle back to the design aspects of VR uh, in particular, okay, spe- especially when we're talking about like uh, some of the design challenges that you kind of run into. Because I know we can talk about VR and there's like a lot that goes into it as an evolving technology. And we'll kind of get into that, but more of course. Uh, ladies and gents, on the focus being design. <laughs> Sorry, Obina. 
<laughs> so, Fair enough. Right. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, just I know you, you've done a couple of projects in the past, Mira, um, uh, working in VR. I kind of want to know some of the challenges that you face when designing for your VR applications. Something that you may, may, may not have experienced when designing for like mobile or designing for Skydio. Yeah, no, for, for sure. Um, so I did a GDC talk about this two years ago. <laughs> Um, can you guys still hear me? Yes. Oh, okay, mm-hmm. cool. Sorry, I thought my audio went out. Um, so I did a GDC talk about this a couple years ago, and the main things that were really surprising from a design standpoint <clears throat> was actually uh, the comfortability aspect for a person. Um, what's somebody's tolerance for, let's say, standing up and playing a game or possibly lifting their arm in to like select different things with a menu um and like what height is too straining which uh you know what height is too straining what angle of rotation was too straining depending on the frequency um were things visually in their peripheral or basically visually in their field of view for them to easily see and access, like, you know, making sure the UI is float, essentially floating in the right space and having environmental cues. So I think the biggest challenge and design thing that necessarily threw me for a loop was that um, we really had to test a lot more was how to keep somebody comfortable for the duration of what we considered a standard gameplay session, which was like 15 or so minutes, um, 15 Mm -hmm. to 20 minutes. And that was, I think, really interesting from a design standpoint to like, how do you cater these circumstances? Cool. Yeah, that makes sense. And when you said 15 minutes, actually, it seemed lengthy to me. I think think when I was originally, well, back in my VR days, I guess, I remember it being even shorter span of time for like your, your VR experience was pretty short. It was like a couple minutes at that. Uh, Cause we did have to account for like, you know, motion sickness and all that stuff. So has the, go ahead. I was saying there's some ways that we address that too. And that I, it granted that it doesn't work for all games. Like our game was a tabletop mm-hmm. game. So we had this table that was act as a as an anchor for a person. So we didn't have to worry as much about motion sickness because their primary focus was this big table that they played this like military strategy game on. Um, so in that aspect, we're already kind of tricking your senses and we give them a, a sense of a foundation and anchoring environment that they focus their attention on so when we have other elements it's less straining because they don't have to like move around as much but obviously like you can't do that for every game otherwise that'd be boring (laughs) yeah that makes sense uh what about you ken what about some of the challenges you've been doing vr for a very long time that you've kind of run in even as we talk about across uh hardware platforms because i know that you know that brings up challenges as well as you move from hardware to hardware and as they mature. Well, so I'm, I'm kind of a, a one-stop shop on a lot, of, a lot of things. I actually do development and design and 3D and all kinds of stuff. And I have to put my hands in lots of different things. So when you ask that question, I wonder, do you mean just visually or do you also mean the interaction as well? Yeah, I mean, gameplay interactions. I mean, kind of the whole yeah. gamut of when we're talking about designing yeah. for a game. So, 
I've been working with a, a, a cool company down south in Corona called Storyland. Uh, we're working on a, a, a VR game that's got a, kind of motorcycle based. And uh, we're implying that you're on the, the, the motorcycle is a good example, I think. I thought it was obvious this is going to be a quest game. And you guys have seen the, the Rift controllers, I'm sure, with the rings around the handle. Um, I thought it was so obvious to, to turn the controllers sideways like you're holding the handlebars of the motorcycle. And then to, to twist your right wrist like it's the throttle. Like it, it feels like a motorcycle. You know, but, but when I got that in front of people, they were like, I don't get it. I just don't get it. Well, turn your wrist like you're riding a motorcycle. Like, well, I've never ridden a motorcycle. Okay. All right. I get it. <laughs> you know? So you have to like adapt to, to people's expectations. And then we basically ended up putting in another um, uh, input mode where we're using like left and right for gas and, you know, kind of more traditional game input stuff. Um, so this is something that you think might be a good solution that might be some new thing that's that's actually weirdly there's an equivalence in the real world. It's just it doesn't translate. So that's one thing to think about. Um, and I think sorry, I was gonna say that or the technology is not there yet to give you the feedback that you need more. Like if it's a handlebar, is there a way to give feedback to the person that feels like they're gripping a, a hard object? Uh, there isn't, but there's rumble, you know, there are things that you can do to like increase the rumble if you turn the, the throttle up. Um, so it, it, yeah, we do what we can, but <clears throat> I think we're just, some people are just, that's, uh, I think speaks to the transition that I was talking about where it's just, it's kind of too new and weird at this point. Um, but the, one of the cool things about what these guys do is they actually do fabrication. So we're going to be building the bikes, like real bikes that they don't move. And we're going to like uh, put the controllers in there and, you know, we'll, we'll figure it out. But um, uh, visually, I think we, we touched on this earlier about uh, the placement of the UI and having it too close to your eyes and then versus putting it out in the world. And if you put it out in the world so that it's comfortable, um, it's sometimes gets occluded by the geometry that is, is in front of you. And so maybe you have to use two cameras to render that UI in front of something but then it's unnatural because it's supposed to be far away. So you have to think about uh, different ways to, to present that UI in ways that we've never done before. Um, you know, like spreading things out in the world so that you actually encounter them as you move around instead of having it like stuck right in front of your face, like a traditional game UI. And then we have uh, performance issues as well. Um, if you just do, you know, a, a bunch of images that have a bunch of uh, transparency you have performance issues because there's a lot of overdraw. So, you know, it's, if you have alpha layering, it has to draw multiple times um, and it slows things down. So you have to think of different ways and you end up building it. I and mean, from a technical standpoint, you end up building a lot of things in geometry that you would have done with just an image in, in like a mobile game or even AR in some cases. Um, so you have to think about sometimes sacrificing, not sacrificing, but adapting the visual style of what you're, what you're doing to those kind of limitations. Um, and of course, you know, as, as we've touched on, like there's, there's room scale stuff. There's, uh, I think they call it standing in some contexts where you're, you're just in, in place. So you can't anticipate people, you know, being able to look around, you know, like lean and stuff. Um, so maybe it's more, it makes more sense for something to be fixed in front of them in the world so that, cause they can't really move too far to um, um, occlude the UI. Um, and also, as I touched on earlier, text, that's kind of an issue because, you know, if, you're, if your text is fuzzy, it, it, it's not cool. 
So you have to kind of over render the text and scale it down so that it looks nice and crisp because of all the things that you, all the things that you are looking at in a world, you know, you can forgive uh, grass that's not very anti-aliased, but if you see text that's not very anti-aliased, then mm. it just looks terrible. <laughs> it looks like a blob. So you have to devote a lot of, a lot of, uh, uh, I think more um, uh, design time and consideration to the text um, gotcha. than, than before, because uh, the images are going to work, you know, they just scale. It's almost like, like uh, I remember back in the day doing web work, someone said you have to use uh, GIFs for text. This was before ping really took off. And I say GIF, not GIF. Sorry. And um, and <laughs> you, you have to use yeah, and you have to use uh, JPEGs for images because the the GIFs um, won't blur the text. It's one of those things where you have to like really focus on making sure that that stuff is crisp because we read everything all the time, and I think people really notice it much more in this in this context. Gotcha. Yeah. So. Last thing, uh, and those are all really good challenges. I kind of want to bring up one more challenge that I'm not sure if we've touched on, uh, but specifically as it relates to VR. And I think, Kenneth, you did mention like visual fidelity or adapting visual style. And and it Mm -hmm. brought to mind like some of the games, uh, like, you know, horror games or like immersive warfare games. Like how does like designing those types of games in VR uh, you know some of the challenges you might run in in that aspect, especially when you're, you're dealing with people who may have you know some form of trauma uh, when they're immersed, because that's what VR and, and kind of AR are doing, and kind of immersing you in these environments that you normally wouldn't be so immersed in if you were just doing it on the phone or on a PC. Yeah, have you ever played Arizona Sunshine? I have not, but that no. really sounds oh. scary. <laughs> Oh boy. Yeah. It's like, it's like fast zombie kind of stuff and they come at you. And, you know, it's one of those things where, but you know, it's another thing that I noticed, uh, was it GDC a couple of years ago and I was walking around looking at the, you know, the, the video taps where they're showing what people are playing in, in the VR headset. I remember in particular, I saw this like helicopter simulator and on the, on the, the output monitor, it looked terrible. It looked like something from the two thousands, you know, it was low resolution, um, like it looked like a you know kind of a, a PS2 game, a PS somewhere between PS2 PS3, and but the reality is once you actually get that headset on and you got zombies running at you, you don't know or care about that. You know, you, <laughs> as long as you get that experience right, um, you don't have to worry about that stuff as much. And there's very little UI in that game. You just hear this like groan and cackling and spurting, and then this horde of things is coming at you, and you don't have enough ammo uh and your your heart beats and everything it's like it's almost real just just making it 3d just making it actually two two you know two different images going to your eyeballs and then you, you resolve that into the 3d and you can actually turn your head around and hear things in stereo often it's spatialized so you actually hear it like bouncing off of rocks and stuff around you and it's gotcha. scary you know? so wait so do you do you think uh and this is for both of you but do you feel like that immersion is that a challenge or is it actually a success as it relates to get design. If I've been talking sense. too much, Mira. Would you like to go first? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's a success, but there's, I think, ethical and moral things that go with it. Um, so the example I'm going to use is um, IGN a couple <clears throat> years, you know, 
handful of years ago when PT came out, the the demo. So IGN took some of their staff and had them play PT in VR. Some of the staff aren't, you know, aren't necessarily gamers or anything. There was this one woman I re- remember, and it's stuck with me since. She got so scared, she literally collapsed on the ground and was just like shaking. Oh Jesus! And she, because wow, it was so wow. real for her, but it, her first reaction wasn't to take off the headset. It was the the physical response was to, I'm fearing for my life. Let me curl into a ball on the ground. And so like the, the other people who were like helping conduct this video, like had to go over and pull the headset off of her. And so I think it highlights wow. the human reaction, if anything, of how, you know, I think it's a success because you've successfully convinced somebody, whether mentally or physically, that this is real because their response is so real. But then it becomes a question of, is this something that people will get used to over time? Or as a designer, like, you know, do you need to make, make some accommodation to, like, somehow remind people that it's fake? And should you? Right. Um, so it's this, right. it's this weird, like limbo to a certain extent of like, well, what do we do? And like, how do we handle it? Um, but I think overall, like from a design standpoint, like when you have people respond in that way, it's a success because you're, you're able to create stuff that actually isn't real, which I think is very like, like fantastical <laughs> um Ooh, you're evil mira that's yeah. <laughs> i mean I'm like there's kidding. there's so many like if you can convince somebody that a horror game is real you know things like that i mean imagine like of all the like wonderful things that you could create for people right, and right. like especially like you mentioned like in the case of trauma how much how far you could go with that possibly right yeah and, and i guess and, uh, just I was going to say, just for those of you who might not know, uh, PT is a horror game that uh, a demo that Kojima put out and was like going to be one of the next Silent Hill games, and it was pretty damn creepy. So. Right, and yeah, that's kind of what the point I was trying to get out, get out is like um, just like the moral challenges that kind of go into creating these super immersive games, uh, which like this is a new medium where it's more immersive than it's ever been, uh, and then kind of how you deal with that. And, and to Mira's point, it's like it's kind of like a tough line to walk you have to have those conversations um and i think that's something that as a designer you're responsible for it's not whether or not you're a game designer or you're a ux designer i think anyone and everyone in that company who's working on that project like that should be a a healthy conversation to have and i think companies or ceos or whoever's in leadership positions should be open to those conversations because I and well, granted, my personal opinion is I, I think companies are to a certain extent ethically and morally responsible to think about those things. Um, so if anything, like that conversation should happen and people should discuss the, you know, what happens because of what they're developing, like in the case of VR. Um, and hopefully, you know, it comes out on the positive side. Sweet. Cool. Uh, so yeah, we're running a little bit low on time. So I, I kind of want to touch this last piece though, which is about uh, where you, both of you think VR, no, not VR, but design in VR 
is going over the next few years. I, I know Mira kind of mentioned, touching this a little earlier about, you know, technology, uh, you know, hardware kind of catching up or creating new, I guess, peripherals or, or whatever to accommodate design. I'm kind of curious what you guys, what you two think about, like, where do you see design in the next few years when it comes to VR and AR? Where do, what do you think, where do you think it's going to change? Uh, will things change? Will things remain stagnant? Uh, even as hardware matures, I think. Et um, I think if anything, more psychology and neuroscience is going to be involved in the design of things, um, for especially for VR and AR, because now that you're using something that's a lot more immersive, you can't apply just like standard, you know, design practices of like, all right, this is going to be this color, this is going to be over here in this location it's there's a lot more about the human element that you have to think about and so i think in the short term like that's going to be the biggest design impact is like how do we design for people on a much more immersive level and there'll be more um i guess like best practices you could say that'll be established possibly for it um beyond that i don't know off the top of my head (laughs) What about you, Kenneth? Do you have any thoughts on where design will mature? Way too many thoughts on it, and that's why we're running <laughs> long. Um, yeah, I think I think as the hardware progresses and we start getting things more like like the Quest with hand tracking, and that stuff becomes more uh, faithful to your actual hand, that the whole the whole thing is going to get so much deeper. I, I I think in ten years there won't be controllers. You're going to use your real hand. It's going to look like your real hand, and you can grab stuff in space. Maybe there'll even be some sort of hybrid between AR and VR where, you know, we've got um, um, computer vision processing that can recognize objects in space and images. You know, maybe we do some kind of mixture of that and you can go and you know reach for something and that's actually sitting on your table virtually and do something with it, inter- interact with it, but it's still in the world, you know. Um, I think that as they improve the visual quality, that uh, the psychology that Mira touched on is going to become even more of an issue for good and bad uh, where, you know, it's, you put it on and it doesn't really look that much different from the the quality of the real world. And that's going to be even more convincing. So do you Um, think that actually, sorry, I'm sorry, go ahead first. Well, I I was going to, I was thinking earlier about something and and there's a weird crossover here. There's a cool thing on the, on the quest, Ryan, you should check it out called uh, notes on blindness. Hmm. Um, and it's kind of the counter to what Mira is uh, talking about with the, with the terror that that poor woman experienced. Um, it's and it's a there was a, a a novelist who went blind suddenly, and he started recording himself, um, you know, like in his beautiful wording, uh, explaining what it's like to be blind. And he's like, you know, uh, rain is the best. It's great when it rains because you can hear the textures of everything around you. Um, if there, if you don't hear it, it doesn't exist. So when you hear it, you know what it is and where it is, and you know what it's made of because glass sounds different when it's raining. Grass sounds different when it's raining. Um, you knock on things, and you know you can tell what it's made of. And this, this, this is a beautiful story of, of you know just snippets of his recordings, and they play them, and you're 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 watching this. Um, it starts out black. And then you hear like someone walk down the, the sidewalk and you see this kind of blue outline, kind of a rough area of someone walking down the sidewalk. And you know that's someone walking down the sidewalk. And then over the course of that particular vignette, 
there's a whole world around you of like kids playing and there's a duck in the pond and the wind blows and only when the wind blows do you see the trees in in this world and that sort of storytelling is it's just brilliant and i think that that's another direction that things can go and i think that as we improve <clears throat> um the not only the the adoption of the technology but the, oh, speaking of which it's raining now um <laughs> not only the adoption of the technology but people's acceptance of it then we can use that as a, a new medium you know like when when film first came out it was just this great new thing and then you know the 60s came along and romero gave us zombies and now we have saw you know so we've like bifurcated it's yeah pretty, this is a whole a, a whole new world a whole yeah. new medium and i think as the hardware develops it's going to give us more and more and more stuff that we can do with it and certainly some people are going to wreck it for us but those people are they can go do their own thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what was the name of that again? Is Notes on... Notes on Blindness. Notes on Blindness. I will definitely check that out. That sounds really That's interesting. Awesome. It definitely sounds like something that that medium just... I mean, you could do that on a console, but it's just not going to be the same. <laughs> yeah. No, I, when I first got my Quest, I sat on my couch and put that thing on. I'm looking around. I'm just like, wow, this is great. There's a part where you're sitting at a bus stop and there's rain and you look up and you only see like the... the, the um, ripples the echoes of the the raindrops on the top of the, the plexi on top of the bus stop and it's just really well done you know i think that um some beautiful art is going to come out of this as well as some horrible terror <laughs> <laughs> um yeah actually speaking speaking of the technology and just the interfaces in general i was thinking while we were having this conversation do you guys so like over the years consoles have kind of solidified on a general controller that you know everybody kind of agrees on we got like two <laughs> thumbsticks and you know a b you know x y or whatever do you see like vr like you know th there's a bit of a smattering of interfaces right now we're still trying to get like in a discovery phase of that do you see that in the future maybe sort of kind of like settling out like a console controller did and you know how do you think that accelerates design or helps it or hinders it um i think that well i think that will probably get to a certain point once the technology gets to a certain point because once you have something become more of a constant variable it's easy i feel like it's easier to take the other components of that and create standards for them um, if that makes sense. No, absolutely it does because you know everyone can now rely on a certain you know set of inputs, I guess there, right? Um, do, you, do you find that do you think that'll be hindering to some if that falls out that way or? Uh, I don't know, to be honest. Like, I could see it hindering in possibly pushing the technology further or it can maybe not. and then in 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 that, like in the case of like a holodeck, for example, like, I really hope they make one <laughs> and better not oh, stop yeah, until absolutely. they get there. So like, that's a case where you have the technology at this certain point and it can get to a certain amount of finesse, but it's not the ideal final, I guess you could say evolution of what it could be. <laughs> Kenneth, any thoughts? I think the controller is going to go away. I think that, um, at some point, it's all it's all, it's going to be hand tracking. The only reason that we have controllers now is because that's how what we started with, and there's no other way to get stuff into that machine. Mm -hmm. But if we hand have tracking. hand tracking, I said, yeah, that's very true. I think that will happen as well. Yeah, yeah it's like having you know full uh, skeletal reconstruction of your hands. You can do so much more with your fingers. They're so much more articulate than mashing a button or moving a stick. Mm -hmm. 
you know, you can pinch, you can do things with different fingers, you can make shapes, you can punch something with a real fist and not just hit X, you know? And I think that that's where it's going to go. It's not there, yeah. but I think it's going to go there. No, I, I agree. I think that makes sense because, I mean, you read all these novels too, and that's kind of like the thing everyone was shooting for, like down the road and like Snow Crash or some of these other novels. It's like, right. yeah, yeah, you know, you just you just either it tracks you, you're using your body as the controller, you know, because that's just makes the most sense. Yeah. Speaking of, uh, mm -hmm. I remember I was, I think, on a client meeting and they were, we were talking about, this is not confidential, but we were talking about like, um, <laughs> hope not, uh, the Tesla suit. Uh, which is like a full, I think Mira was talking about earlier about the motorcycle thing and being able to grip something or feel it. I feel as though you're gripping. They have like a full body suit that, or I think right now they're using it mainly for like metrics tracking for like athletics and people who are working out and athletes. Uh, but it's like one of those things that where you could feel every muscle. You can, it can react and kind of pulsate on every muscle group so you can feel what's happening or like if you're getting oh, the, like the pressure suits yeah exactly like so it's one of those body so think, haptics yeah exactly so i think that's kind of where it could go as well um but yeah so i mean this is interesting thoughts good thoughts um so actually last question on future of the future of ar vr um actually i have two questions but I won't, i'm just gonna ask one <laughs> the one <laughs> question is so you you all think that vr is it's not like another 3D TV type thing. It's not like, a, you know, it's novel, but not really going to gain much traction outside of, you know, a couple of people or not a couple of people, but you know how I many people bought their 3D TVs? It's like 20. But do you think it's going to be more than that? Oh, absolutely. It's going to be the next wave of... I think, yeah, sorry, not, sorry to cut you off. Um, yeah, uh, I, I think it's... I don't think it's going to disappear by any means. I think it's only going to get better um, and it will get become more accepted um, with time. Um, and ex also not just that, but also used more widely over time as well. Because not just from like a game and storytelling perspective, well, game perspective, there's so many other applications that you could use in the case of like, even in a department store, for example, like, you know, we think of, uh, you know, the way we present certain experiences or like take Disneyland, for example, if you used VR in Disneyland, like if the technology was like a little bit further down the road, for example, or something like there's so many other ways you can make Disneyland way more immersive with the help of VR. That I wouldn't even have to actually, go. To that's a, I wouldn't have to go though. <laughs> yeah, well, no, but that that's actually a good that's a good point because I just remembered you saying that now. Uh, I was in Germany and at the uh, like international, like the I guess Euro Disney type of place out there, and actually one of the rides they had there was where you got a VR headset, but you rode on an actual roller coaster, and that was all yeah, synced up to that now, movement. Yeah. Yeah, and so they put all this crazy shit like in the environment, but you actually felt the wind and were moving and whipping around, and it was it was crazy. So it's like, yeah, yeah you know, I, I have a sorry. go ahead. <laughs> I, I have a really good example of how it's already way past the three D TV. Um, so first off, I can go to Best Buy and get six different headsets, you know, and they're they're constantly coming out with new ones. Um, there's already a lot more content for all of the headsets than there ever was on the three D TVs, you know. Um, and I've also been working with a company uh, in the South Bay called Z Space. Have you guys ever guys ever heard of that? Mm -mm. So these guys have uh, the, and gals have this awesome uh, technology where they do 
um, uh, polarized layers on a screen. So they have a laptop that has a 3D screen and uh, an all-in-one that has a 3D screen. And you wear um, really lightweight glasses like IMAX glasses that have infrared dots on them or infrared reflective dots. And they can be, the computer actually beams at you. And it's basically VR, but it's on the screen. And so it tracks your head. You can actually like move your head towards the screen. I'm actually doing it right now, even though you can't see it. <laughs> you move your head towards the screen and you kind of move your to the side and look around. It looks like you're looking out a window. And they have a, a stylus so that you can interact with stuff on the screen. And at this point, um, all of their content is educational. And they're in, I don't remember how many schools, but something like a thousand schools. And they're teaching kids about, you know, welding. And uh, I, I'm working on something. I, I, I neglected to ask if I could mention it, so I'm not going to. But I'm working on something for that 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 medium. And there, I've seen so many pictures of kids playing with these things. Like you can reach in with the stylus and grab something and pull it out. It looks like you're pulling it out of the screen. And the kids just love it. And and it's all it's they they have quite a lot of uh, clients, uh, quite a lot of content. And and kids are learning about anatomy and all kinds of cool stuff with it. So. This is already in front of way more people than the 3D TV ever was, and it's portable. You don't have to mount it on your wall and like just have your friends over and go, look at this cool thing, and they're like, okay, cool, nice. Good luck <laughs> so with that. Cool. How much was it? Yeah. You know? <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Sweet. Cool. Uh, so, yeah, I think we are at the end of the line here as far as time. Uh, but last thing, um, and this is – I just want – because I love doing this at the end of each episode when we have interviewees, is getting you know some last bit of parting advice from you from both of you. Uh, just something it could be about design, it could be about gaming, it could be about development, it could be about I don't know impeachment. It could be about anything you want. Uh, Whoa, just, went political. All right, that, yes, true. Get a little political. <laughs> this last piece of parting advice it also could be about the thing that you neglected to ask me about. You could just say that anyway. Uh, so go right ahead. Just last minute parting advice. Uh, Mira, you want to start us off sure. with some words of wisdom? Um, I think for me, the biggest thing on whether it's your designing or you're just being a person or whatever is um, empathy is incredibly important. And I think it would, I think it's for anyone who wants to be a designer, whether it's for games, for AR applications, VR applications, um, emerging technologies, like learn and study empathy, like learn to be a more empathetic person, but also learn um, just about empathy in general, because I think that helps people to ask the right questions and think more about the end user and the person who's ultimately gonna use your product. Um, So empathy. (laughs) That was a good one, very good. Uh, How about you, Ken, you wanna leave us with something you want. Uh, do you mind if I say something that's uh, been quite controversial that I've said many times over the course of my career? Sure. <laughs> do it. Do it. Well, you got to say uh, it now. I got to know what yeah, it is. You have yeah. to say it. <laughs> in my opinion, and this isn't the, the case for everyone, but in my opinion, in this sort of industry, and by this industry, I mean, you know, c- creating media in some form, you know, like I said, I started on CD-ROMs and, I, and web stuff and then flash stuff and after effects of broadcast and you know this and that school is optional you know why because the technology moves so quickly that by the time you get out of school you're already out of date and you have to you have to put the time in if you need a if you need a degree for a particular type of thing that you want to do that's awesome please do it 
but you need to be studying for what's coming after that at the same time. Otherwise, the technology is going to leave you behind. So you have to keep on it. You have to teach yourself a lot of things. And you have to be passionate about it and stick with it. Preach. Absolutely, I yeah. That I mean, and once you have a career, you need to do that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Should be every day. Sweet. That was awesome. No advice from you, Ryan. We're done. Um, thanks <laughs> Fine. again. <laughs> we get Ryan's advice every week. You hear me oh, way well, too much, yeah. That's true. Uh, but anyway, thanks again, Kenneth and Mir, for joining us for another awesome interview. We really, really appreciate it. I think I've learned a lot about design, especially as it relates to VR and AR. I think we probably could have touched on AR a little bit more, but yeah, yeah. next time. Yeah, it was anyway, very great meeting you both. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, thanks again. Bye. Bye. Cool. And that was another sweet interview with uh, Mira Marquez and Kenneth Woodruff about designing your game for VR. Anyway, I hope you guys enjoyed it. If you want to join in on this action, continue the conversation about VR, about game design, et cetera, et cetera. You could join us on our Facebook group, which is the Debug Lounge. Just go to facebook.com and search for the Debug Lounge. Or you can join us in our Discord, and you can just go to our website, which is thedebuglog.com, and you'll see a link to our Discord there. Yep, Ryan. <laughs> yeah, no, like, like you said, that was another great episode. Uh, yeah, again, thank you to Mira and Kenneth. It was great meeting them. They had a lot of great design um, sort of advice and information and experience. Um, I definitely learned a lot. Um, yeah, empathy was a big takeaway for me because uh, yeah. <laughs> not something you always <laughs> He's think like, about. I'm usually an asshole. <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah, because I'm usually a jerk and just like, it technically works, shut up, get it out, you know. So, no, um, yeah, but, but a lot of good points from both of our guests, and I really appreciate them coming on. So, um, I didn't think I prepped that properly. What I wanted to do was do our Patreon. Link. Okay. But yeah. Oh, did, did you want to do? No, you do it. You, you do it. You do it. Oh God, I get to do the Patreon. I don't even. Know. I have forgotten what the Patreon is at this point. Oh, Lord have uh, mercy. It's Patreon.com yeah, slash the debug log. Right there we go. Right? I'm just gonna do like blah 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 <laughs> slash the debug log for everything. <laughs> it's gotta be right. Anyway. Thanks for joining us on this episode. If you want to find me on Twitter, you can find me at OBeans. That's O with an H, Beans with a Z. And if you want a dry feed from me, that is at R-E Kilgore, K-I-L-L-G-O-R-E. I might like something or retweet something occasionally. So That's fair. Mine is hella dry, too. But my Instagram is popping, so. Oh, nice. Well, I should I should subscribe to your in- Instagram. You should, I, at OBeans. Yeah. Okay, anyway. OBeans. It's been real. <laughs> Take it easy, people.